0: field of human country, but so much owed by so many to so few. Two tickets critique being our a... pious <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of Radio Uf. My name is Laura Velva, and I am here in the studio with Eric Karlqvist. Hello there. And we hope that you had a nice weekend. That your week is started in li- is starting nicely. And we are very excited about today's episode, namely because it was a super extra special collaboration with Utrik. And with the radio. <laughs> and this time, the author of the article is Eric himself. So, yes. yeah, what is your article about, Eric?
1: Yeah, so uh, this article that we're going to talk about today is basically about how um, the Arctic region on top of our planet is getting more and more important in world politics and international relations and different types of uh, power struggles among greater powers.
0: Which is also why you chose this very catchy title, Less Eyes, More Attention."
1: Yeah, my angle on this is that this is really driven by the climate crisis and it's an aspect that might easily get forgotten because there's so many other very dire consequences such as the flu- flooding and erosion and entire island states that might get submerged underwater in the future because of of climate change, but just um, right now there's these big geopolitical tensions building up as well, which I thought was a pretty interesting angle to take.
0: Definitely, and this is why the subtitle is The Transforming Geopolitics in the Arctic. It is very important and Even though it is sad that one has to think about these things, you know, when society changes, like Mm -hmm. politics change too. um, And when new resources are involved, then all the interests and all the eyes are turned into these regions. So, yeah, what then is different from the article that we're going to like, how is the radio program different from your article, Eric?
1: Yeah, so I think basically this just gets, uh, gives us a chance to uh, broaden this a little bit, broaden the discussion and talk about some more aspects, I think. Uh, what I didn't talk much about in in uh, in the article was things as well, soft power dynamics, and uh, also we might discuss um, like the indigenous cultures and or rather the groups that and their representation in in the council Arctic Council, for example. So there's definitely more to talk about, and then we'll also talk about the things that I actually wrote about, such as um, shipping routes and all of that and that uh, resource exploitation.
0: Exactly, and before we go on a b- music break, we would like to give a big shout out to Moa Berry.
1: Yes, indeed, she was doing a lot of the research for this episode as well. She's not in the studio now, but a uh, big shout out to Moa.
0: Yes, thank you. And with that, you're listening to "Sickly Sweet" by New Dad. Yes, that was Sickly Sweet by New Dad. You're listening to Radio UF via Stentradia 98.9. And we're talking about Less Eyes, More Tension, the transforming geopolitics in the Arctic. And let's go back to your article and to your choice of topic, Eric. Like, what made you think about mm. writing about the geopolitics in the Arctic?
1: Yeah, so I think what fascinates me about this is how the Arctic has historically really been mostly a no man's land where major powers have not been um, very interested in in um, well spending resources in trying to conquer this area. well there was still um, some uh, militarization quite a lot actually during the Cold War, but st- still with this it has been viewed as quite of a low tension area for a long time but but now it's changing because um, of um, of climate change a lot.
0: Yeah, perhaps it's because when it was colder and it was frozen all the time, it was just yeah. Other than inhospitable, also unexploitable, yes. right? It's maybe not so profitable to dig. Uh, I don't know, thirty meters of ice to get some oil, like
1: exactly. And 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 that's the that's um that's the point that um that I t- tried to make in the article that now the Arctic is both co- becoming um well more accessible uh, to to shipping and um, and all of that so that will that increases um, the appeal of controlling these areas and gaining influence but also um now that ice is disappearing this this makes it possible to exploit natural resources and there's been estimates that there's quite a lot of uh, resources to be found actually about thirty percent, according to of the unexploded oil and natural gas, according to um, a U.S. Geological Survey uh, made by an official government instance there. Um, and in one sense, this all is quite paradoxic, uh, like a big paradox, because well, climate change is, is caused by all of our exploitation, and now this is probably just going to lead to more.
0: It is quite ironic.
1: Yeah, it is really ironic, actually. Uh, but it really explains why 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 countries are are interested and and. What also makes it so fascinating now is that there's several places where these claims all overlap, uh, where several countries are are interested. Um, There's one place in the Arctic Ocean called the Lomos of a Ridge, uh, which is at the moment being claimed by both Canada, Russia and Denmark. And, um, And no one really knows how to deal with this kind of thing, not even the International Court of Justice, because this has not really been an issue until very recently. Yeah, there is
0: no law, no legislation adapted to this.
1: No, and, and the, the one, that, like the closest things that, that there are, which is like the law of the sea, um, is still quite vague in this because it's, um, well, it, it might discuss ice covered areas, but it, for example, when this ice disappears, how do we treat it then, for example?
0: Yeah, and I don't think it's adapted to deal with this type of conflicts either when there are so many, like, economical stakes, even though we could say that we don't learn from our mistakes. Mm. But the fact that the geopolitical context and the security issues are so tense at the moment gives it even more relevance. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but we are reaching the end of this section. Uh, We're going to go on a music break. This is "Comboy Nudes by Geese. And we are back in the studio. You're listening to Radio F and we're discussing less eyes, more attention, the transforming geopolitics in the Arctic. And we explained in the last uh, section why it was relevant to talk about the Arctic in this terms. And no, it's not only a thought experiment is not something that we imagine could happen is something that is already going on mm. and many countries have already made some sort of declaration and uh, yeah we're gonna talk about who are the big players in in this uh, arena and uh, yeah who who is in the game who's in the game
1: yeah so i think what's first um, comes to mind is obviously the countries and um there's eight countries that are classified as Arctic states, and that's Canada, Denmark, Iceland, Finland, Norway, Sweden, the U.S. and Russia. And out of these, uh, of course, not all of these have coast along the Arctic, but most of them do. But all of these countries are definitely relevant in this discussion. But I think when it comes to like the well, clear goals and stuff that they try to pursue, it's interesting to look at mainly the bigger countries in this context, such as Russia and the U.S., and um what i have identified as some of the sort of key policies that they try to advance uh, is very much linked to what we touched upon before shipping routes and natural resource exploitation and in russia's case this this has to do with what is called the northern sea route which basically connects the pacific um, through and the atlantic by going over russia sort of north of russia along that coast and And Russia claims that this is uh, their internal uh, sovereign waters. And um, whereas, for example, the U.S. does not accept that view and says that this is um, international waterways.
0: Yeah, and it makes sense that Russia is a bigger player because it's one of the... I I mean, you know the, the data better, but are they the ones who have the biggest sort of frontier in the Arctic? I think
1: you could say that for sure. I mean, they have... An enormous line of coast along the Arctic. Basically, for example, we we never talk about North Asia, all because all of North Asia that's Russia, and mm-hmm. and all of that's is coast that's essentially in the Arctic, and um, and they also have a lot of infrastructure which we'll talk about later on. But um, you can definitely say that they are leading in a lot of ways. They're ahead.
0: Yeah. yeah. And what about Canada?
1: Mm, I don't know per se their their numbers specifically, but they also have, um, well, a lot of territory up there. And 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 they also have this, um, well, one of these waterways that they claim as their own sovereign waters, which is called the Northwest Passage, uh, which, well, basically goes through their Arctic archipelago and connects uh, also the Pacific Ocean and the Atlantic, but from another way then. And to sort of just describe why these routes are important uh, is, well, it can be explained by... The fact that some of these may, well, shorten the time it takes to ship goods by between thirty and fifty percent if you compare how long it would take to ship them through the Panama Canal or the Suez Canal, which is being used today. So these are two major claims. And then just quickly, the last, well, a last important actor to discuss is the Arctic Council, which is sort of the multilateral cooperation agency for for the countries.
0: That's right. And also, uh, the countries who were not officially recognized as a state also tried to. China in 2018 uh, mm. said that it was a near Arctic state. Yes. Yes. And we'll continue talking about this in the next section. So stay with us. This is Simmer by Mayuko. And I was Imre by Maiko. You're listening to Radio UF. We're discussing less ice, more tension: the transforming geopolitics in the Arctic. And um, you mentioned Eric in our last segment something about the Arctic Council. Mm. Uh, you said that it was an important actor. Um yeah. Why is this? What do they do?
1: Yeah. So according to themselves, they define themselves as the leading intergovernmental a governmental forum promoting cooperation, coordination and interaction among the Arctic states, the Arctic indigenous peoples and other Arctic inhabitants. And basically, this is a kind of a a forum for these to meet and discuss different uh, aspects of um, politics and economics, but they strictly cannot discuss military security and sort of the hard security.
0: Yeah, that seems complicated given the context
1: yes very very much so it's well it became very obvious that after the invasion of ukraine um well this kind of division in the council became very obvious because well the it consists of seven western nations and russia and russia started this invasion uh, against ukraine and well, since then the council has essentially been, well, put on ice, if you will, uh, and. <laughs> I
0: appreciate the ice pun.
1: Yeah, pun intended. Yeah. Um, and uh, not not much has been done. Well, except for some uh, some projects that did not involve Russia actively. But what's interesting about the council as well is sort of the makeup out of it. How it's it also involves six Arctic indigenous organizations, which do not have uh, voting rights, but are are at the table and can be part of different negotiations. And it also includes observer states, which are other nations such as China, India and Japan and most Western European countries as well.
0: I see. And, okay, if we move on from the Arctic Council, mm-hmm. because they cannot discuss any military yeah. uh, or, like, openly political questions, then after like now with the with the war like if we discuss the things that beyond the go beyond the arctic council like what has been russia doing around that
1: mm. so russia has really in 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 recent um years been reopening old soviet military bases they have been putting much more resources towards the region now obviously because of their war in ukraine they can't put as much but um they have been um, sort of putting more focus on it and and you can see how they really are ahead in some areas such as looking at like some hard numbers like the number of icebreakers that the countries have well Russia has about 40 and the US has two um and this although icebreakers might not be used in an active war this is like still showing how how prepared or unprepared some countries are in this Race. Yeah, so
0: they're also well equipped to move around in this type of weather conditions, basically.
1: Yeah, and I think interesting to mention as well is that out of these eight Arctic states, well, at the moment six of them are NATO members, and when Sweden joins, this number is going to become seven. And yeah. and with an Arctic Council that can't discuss military security, this really opens up well questions on what the cooperation in, in the Arctic can even look like.
0: Yeah, is it going to be obsolete or... Mm. Yeah, big questions. Uh, Well, my key takeaway is that, uh, you know, the Russian winter is not to be messed with. (laughs) Many words have been lost to it. You're listening to Radio UF. This is Medicine by Hannah Oganstein. That was medicine by Hanna Ögandstein. You're listening to Radio F, and we're broadcasting from Stendravunityo Takemanio. And I'm here with Eric, who wrote an article for Utrecht on the geopolitical tension in the Arctic. And in the previous section, we touched upon the military stakes that there have been after the invasion of Ukraine, um, but. I wonder, Eric, are there other ways in which states can project or already are projecting their power mm. that are not military?
1: Yeah, I would say in the Arctic, most definitely. There's some quite fascinating examples of this. There's this, these islands called the Svalbard Islands, which are part of Norway, but they are under this special treaty called the Svalbard Treaty, which essentially well, yeah.
0: Is that where the polar bursts are?
1: Yeah, there's quite a lot of polar bursts there. I think there's some areas of Svalbard where you have to carry a gun, like, legally and you can't lock your doors because of it. Uh, mm. But yeah, on, on Svalbard, you, all countries that have signed this agreement, they are allowed to conduct commercial mining or hunting and other types of natural resource exploitation on Svalbard. And there's this one... Uh, mining city called Barentsburg which is uh, Russian, and um, this has this is a very interesting place because it's a coal mining city essentially, with that has been around for quite some time, but it's not making any money really, and it's very reliant on the government to support it. But what this really allows Russia is to get to have a very physical presence there. They have. There's the mining, of course, and then there's Russian schools, there's Russian grocery stores, Russian restaurants and bars and everything, and
0: it's a symbolic presence. Then
1: and also they just renovated a very, well, well, a big consulate there where you can even apply for Russian visas. Uh, so it's it's yeah. a very strange dynamic. And and speaking, linking this to the war in Ukraine, I read in the the Barnes Observer, a very niche uh, newspaper. Um, that talked about how in May 2023 there was a military-style parade in Barentsburg, which included, I think, about 50 vehicles and, well, a helicopter and a lot of Russian flags throughout the main um, street in Barentsburg. And this is, well, on Norwegian sovereign territory. Let's just remind ourselves about that. And it's it has a clear message, I think, or it, it really wants to portray Russia as this... Influential power and show strength, Yeah. but it's yeah very bizarre.
0: Definitely seems like diplomatic strategies. Um, mm. You mentioned some tourism.
1: Oh yeah, there was um, well since Svalbard has been this, uh, it's well, it's demilitarized and has um, has this very international and cooper- cooperative sort of environment. There's been this Russian and Norwegian joint company promoting a lot of tourism and all of that, especially, for example, to Barnsberg and other places. But the Norwegian part of this company stopped with this after uh, after the, the war in Ukraine. So you can see how the big dynamics of world politics are playing out in, in sort of the everyday life and environment. Up there.
0: Yes and in your article as well, uh, I remember you you name a consulate of the US that opens in Greenland in 2020.
1: Yes, exactly this this was another type of uh, how how countries sort of use this soft soft power and show their presence uh, in the Arctic.
0: Exactly in, in places where it was like for, almost forgotten before mm. Yes. And with that, it's time for another music break. You're going to listen to "Start You Up" by Masterpiece. That was "Start You Up" by Masterpiece, as in peace and conflict. <laughs> and in the before the break, we were talking about the soft power that different nations have been trying to express in the Arctic. We mentioned all of the members of the Arctic Council and also China wanting to be a near mm. state. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we still have some examples, actually, that we'd like to go through. And uh, yeah, one of them is Greenland, a really yes. big extension of land. I, I don't know if you uh, remember this like uh, media scandal in, what was it, maybe 2020? 2020, yeah. When Trump wanted to buy Greenland, mm. right? And everybody was like, why would you want to like have that? And well,
1: mm. now we know why. Yes, and this was, I mean, everyone, I think, thought this was a very bizarre... Um, Almost sort of, a joke. Yes, no one could really take that seriously. But the same year, they, they also did something which is more traditional in well diplomatic behavior and international relations and that's that was opening up a consulate which is not an embassy but sort of um well something close to it um yeah, and
0: it is official representation yes it's
1: still an official representation and this what they did was they opened up this in the capital city of of greenland which is um under danish sovereignty but this this diplomatic presence had had been gone since the early cold war so well, I think just about a little more than 70 years. And um, so this was a major move, I would say, um, that they reopened this. And this is not the only place that they've been doing this. In in just this last fall in 2023, the U.S. uh, reopened a diplomatic presence post in uh, the Norwegian city of Tromsø, which is now, I think, well, it is the northernmost American diplomatic office in the world at the moment. Have you been to Tromsø? I haven't, but uh, it's actually on my bucket list. It seems like a very cool city. Uh, Definitely,
0: now that the uh, northern lights are more, mm-hmm. are stronger than ever.
1: Yes, good season for that.
0: Yeah, but now speaking of northern lights, uh, like, <laughs> what is Sweden doing in all of this?
1: So, well, Sweden doesn't have. Like a coastline, so we're not really in that kind of uh, area of the of the discussion, but we're still an Arctic state with Arctic interests and part of the sort of Western uh, Arctic coalition or nations, if you will. And I think, well, first of all, um, we have, as many people know, strong cooperation with the other Scandinavian and Nordic countries, um, and. um well, to to describe what kind of interests we not have, we can we can point to, like the mining in um, in Kiruna and other places in the north, um, as well as Sweden's S range space center, which are two very strategic interests that we have up there.
0: Yeah, exactly. And uh, would you say that the internal policies are evolving?
1: Yes, because you can also see how. Uh, there's been more and more discussions about reopening military regiments up there. Um, as a result, clearly of these increased uh, tensions and um, well ambitions of other countries in the in the region, so I can def- I would definitely say that we see the policies evolving in that direction.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, the the mines are already existing elements and existing ex- infrastructure mm. that can be utilized for any other interests in this context. Uh, Definitely not necessarily environmentally friendly. And I would like to tip our listeners, if you haven't already, to go to studentradion.com. You go to programs, UF, and you can find an interview we had with Stefan Mikkelsson, the deputy chair of the Sami Parliament. And we also talk about... The mining in Sweden, in northern Sweden, from a very different pr- perspective from human rights and respect of indigenous people's rights. And with that, we're going to listen to more music. Sä de omkring by Franska Trion. And dear listeners, we are back in the studio. This is Radio UF. I am Laura Delba, and I am here with Eric Karlqvist, and we're talking about the transforming geopolitics in the Arctic. And if you've listened from the beginning, now you are almost an expert about everything that's going up north. Definitely. Uh, and uh, like, and now it's time to talk about the future. So, what are the different theories or speculations about what could happen in the following years, Eric.
1: So there's one writer called Roger Howard, and he basically uh, talks about how there's this idea of geodiplomacy, where because of these like overlapping claims, which are part uh, of this whole conf- well, conflict or uh, dynamic there's been many examples of of countries doing kind of scientific explorations to to like fortify their claims so like we're definitely going to see more of that i think and then just generally like more militarization and more resources being put towards it i think
0: yeah like in the 15th 16th centuries when everybody was like exploring the world and mm. putting flags yes everywhere
1: Definitely. In fact, Russia actually put a flag on the North Pole, like on the sea floor, in 2007. And as far as we know, it's still floating there or floating, it's standing there. But
0: That actually makes me think about some sort of competition that Denmark and Canada had over a oh, yeah. I.
1: It's called the Whiskey War. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Uh, <laughs>
0: and it seemed like a joke. Uh, yes. But now it makes a little bit more sense. Yeah. Okay, but th- you said there was another major theory.
1: Um well there probably is but um i i would say like there's two big variables in this that mm-hmm. like will affect and that's basically like how will the ice like how fast will the ice melt or because it's not likely it's going to stop melting at the moment so um and yeah. and also like all the other ongoing wars as ukraine and in the middle east and everywhere and things are escalating how much resources do these countries have to put towards the arctic so like these two things are definitely gonna I, th- I think affect the development
0: yeah how big of a priority it becomes mm. and also what happens to everybody else around mm. it right when the arctic yes. melts the, exactly uh, are there gonna be any like claims for people who like you know if their countries disappear due to the seawater the, the sea level going mm. up are they gonna have any claims to the arctic that's also a question that could be mm.
1: and all of the um, well the groups of indigenous people that live in the Arctic now I mean they they see these effects going on right now as well so yeah there's this is not just a matter of the future but it's really something going on right now as well so yeah
0: yeah for sure and yeah very interesting discussion thank you for listening uh we're almost. not quite yet but almost out of time Uh, it's time for some music again Her Garden by Pax this is Radio UF yes that was Her Garden by Pax this is Radio UF and this is the end of our program Less Eyes More Attention The Transforming Geopolitics in the Arctic thank you for listening until the very end Uh, I hope that you Got a new idea, inspiration? Like, mm-hmm. I think that was your your goal. We're yes. talking about this, right, Eric?
1: Yeah, definitely. Both the article and this program is um, not an attempt in trying to talk about everything there is to say about the Arctic and and this situation, because there is so much, really. But rather to perhaps start some interest and um, and point out some some relevant um, things that are going on.
0: Yeah, I have to admit, like, because we obviously here at the UF, we have like many brainstorming sessions, right? Both for you, and for the radio. And when you mentioned this, I was like, oh, that's interesting. But I felt like it was something more imaginary or something more like kind of dystopian. Mm -hmm. But then like listening to all of this, reading to your article, uh, I realized that it's not uh, at all the the case. It's more like something that is already happening. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah.
1: Yeah, I think that aspect really as well, like getting people to understand that these Arctic issues, these Arctic issues, are not just the future. It's it's going on now. It's so we the should, present. Yes, exactly.
0: Exactly. But yeah, this was also the last of the episodes in collaboration with Utrik Magazine. Uh, at least for the topic of globalization. Yes. We hope that if you are participating on the postmodernism postmodernism issue. That you reach out to us and talk about your article.
1: Yes, please come join us. We're really fun. (laughs) Yes,
0: and uh, I say that's it for today. Uh, I hope everybody has a nice week. Thanks again for listening to us. And we will leave you with Molnen by Tjubiakta and Academics. (laughs)